0: Today we're going we're gonna to start in Luke chapter 4. That's where we'll be. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, uh, you can turn there. We're going to begin there, but we're not going to stay there. We're going to end up moving along to uh, John chapter 8. When I first moved to Mississippi as an 18-year-old, I moved there to go to college. And I moved there from Detroit, Michigan. And the difference between uh, the sticks of Mississippi and Detroit, Michigan, uh, is like imagine if you lived in Kansas and, uh, and you moved to, I don't know, Iran. That's how different the culture was. Um, very different. And I, I get there and I had to stay in a dorm room. I got dropped off actually. I had no phone, no cell phone, $200 in my pocket, no girlfriend. I was like the bottom of the barrel at this point in my life. <laughs> And um, I get dropped off, and I'm living in a dorm room, which is basically, if you don't know what a dorm room, like a dorm building is in Mississippi, just imagine a prison that's been uh, empty for a long time, and they took the bars out. That's exactly what I was living in. And I met one of my fellow college students, and now you got to realize, I'm coming from Detroit, Michigan. I get there, and one of my fellow dorm residents is a guy named Shotgun, that's his name. He's about as country as they get. He was so country that he wore the flannel graphs with the torn off sleeves, like Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> True story. This was I mean, it was him. This is who he was. Um, and he's a great guy, and he was there for ministry too, just a great guy. Uh, well, one day I was hanging out with Shotgun, and it became aromatically apparent that he did not wear deodorant. And I don't know how long he hadn't been wearing deodorant, but it was significant. It was a significant amount of time, enough time that I mustered, pun intended, I mustered up the courage to ask him, shotgun, dude, how come you don't have any deodorant on? And, he, and I can't do his southern twang. I mean, he was southern, southern. He goes, it's a free country, ain't it? And, uh, and I was like, yeah, and I know it's not very American to say, but I feel like you're a little too free. I feel like you need to constrain, you know, you need limits, you need boundaries, and um, anyway, but we, we were good friends, he's great. Uh, but he made a good point, you know, isn't it a free country, which this weekend we're celebrating our independence as a country, we celebrate the 4th of July, Independence Day. Uh, tomorrow's actually the 246th annual celebration of our country's independence from Great Britain. You know, the... 13 colonies, those early uh, American residents before they were, it was the America that we know, uh, they decided they wanted freedom from good King Georgie, you know, in Great Britain, they wanted freedom from that, and, um, and, and there was a hunger for freedom, there was a desire for someone across the ocean not telling you what to do, and also not representing you well, and also enslaving you a little bit, they wanted freedom. And uh, so they, we've been celebrating Independence Day for 246 years. Uh, we've been celebrating this national freedom. Now, our government wasn't really the way that it is now until the Constitution. That was like a decade, actually 11 years later. Um, but in 1776, they voted that we're, we're independent because we desire freedom. And ever since I moved to Kansas, I've been learning about this community and this culture. And, uh, and I've learned that for some of you... Just a few generations ago, just some of your great-greats, not even great-great-great-great-great, just great-great, some of your ancestors actually moved here to this area. Why? Freedom. They wanted freedom. They, They had a hunger and a desire for freedom, as do we all. Don't you want freedom? If I were to ask you, do you want freedom? What would your definition of freedom really be? How would you define freedom? We, we all want it, but isn't freedom tricky? Isn't freedom kind of like a double-edged sword? I mean, think about the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve. They were placed in this garden. They had so much freedom. But really, they were offered two kinds of freedom. One freedom was offered by their creator, who only had one law. Could you imagine just one rule? I mean, how easy could that be? How could you get that one thing wrong? There's not you can you you don't even have to memorize it. It is literally the only rule in the whole world at this point. He gives them one rule. And then there was a serpent, a dragon that offered them a different kind of freedom. A freedom from that creator and his one law. And of course they 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 went with the dragon. And it, it kind of seems like humans haven't really changed much since then. We haven't learned much, have we? Who offers you freedom? Jesus, the media, the culture, the government, if you can call it that. There's all kinds of freedoms. I asked that question. There are all kind of, kinds of freedoms that are being offered to you. Do you know that you get preached to every day, and not by me, I mean I know a lot of you listen to my sermons every day on repeat, but, but for the select few that don't, um, do you know that you get preached to all the time? You know, you're being preached to constantly about sexual freedom. We want to offer you freedom, and the world offers you sexual freedom. You can decide, you don't have to go the Creator's way, you can have freedom to do with what you can, not only can you do what you want with your body, but you can choose what you are. Now, that doesn't make sense since you didn't make you, you're not your own designer, but it's a freedom that's being offered. And the world offers you all kinds of freedom, moral freedom, individualistic freedom, and it's all a facade because as soon as you are offered a freedom that's outside of the design and instruction of God's word, outside of His design for you, that freedom quickly turns into bondage. It's not really freedom, is it? It's a trick, it's bait to deceive you. There's a preacher I, I really appreciate. He's so faithful to the word. He says, he once said, the more you do as you please, the less you are pleased with what you do. Now it takes wisdom and age and experience to really get that phrase. The more you just do whatever you want, the less you're happy with with your life and what you're doing. Because you think it's going to satisfy you, you could be a lover of pleasure, but if you decide I'm going to be a lover of pleasure, you will find yourself grasping at the wind, clawing out of a tunnel that will not end, putting water into a bucket with a hole at the bottom, you cannot satisfy your soul with the freedoms that the world offers. But there's good news. God offers us a better freedom. And when Jesus came here 2,000 years ago, He preached about freedom. Not American freedom that I personally enjoy and appreciate, and I think it's The greatest national freedom that's ever been designed. I really believe that. I know some people want to hate on it because it seems like you're traditionalist or you're whatever. I, I just look at the facts, I just read it. The design of our nation's freedom is the best national freedom that's ever been designed. The question, though, is is that going to save our soul? Is that going to save people? Is that going to free people in the ultimate sense? The world's so-called freedom is tempting. We're tempted to believe, and that's why we don't want to be judgmental. We We don't want to be critical and harsh or arrogant. Because I'm tempted by the freedoms of the world, too. My ears perk up when I hear about a freedom that offers me happiness and pleasure. And sometimes I'm duped and tricked into giving in to sin because I truly think that will satisfy me and that will be better. And so it's not about judgment. What we want to do is look in the scripture and hear and listen to Jesus as he speaks about real freedom. So we're going to listen into a conversation he had like 2,000 years ago. But first, uh, in order to look at that freedom, I want to look at Luke chapter 4. I told you we we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Jesus offered a freedom like no one has ever received. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he's preaching. He opens the scroll, this big long scroll. He goes to scroll, he goes to Isaiah, what we think of Isaiah chapter 61, way late in the scroll. It must have been weird sitting in the synagogue that day. It's like their version of church or sitting there or standing there. And all of a sudden the guy that's supposed to teach the Bible lesson. Is just turning that scroll, and he's turning it, and he's turning it. Now, everyone knew they were going to be in Isaiah 61. That passage was selected for that, that, that Sabbath, but he's turning it. He gets to Isaiah 61, and he reads it. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, of the Lord's grace. Jesus reads Isaiah 61 and he says, and eventually he says, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He came to proclaim, I am offering you freedom and I came here to make it so. I came here to bring you real, true freedom. And the question for us is, what kind of freedom? There's different kinds of freedom. Freedom from what? How do we get that freedom? How do we receive the freedom that he has to offer? And probably the more applicable question that we don't ask often enough. You know, in our church culture, we I bet some of you, I know the answer. I know how we get that freedom. But here's a, here's a more difficult question. Do you live in that freedom? Are you really living free right now? in the freedom that Christ offers you? Are you living in it? Are you free? If the Holy Spirit were to convict your heart right now and say, are you free? Are you free from the fear of death? Are you free from anxiety and worry of the world? Are you free to love and to serve? Are you truly free? Are you doing what I've called you to do? The harder question is, are you living as free men and women in the freedom that Christ has offered you? So, we're going to answer those questions by listening in on a conversation Jesus had. Now, the conversation that Jesus had was there was a there was a number of people around him. I want to give you some context of John chapter 8. He had been talking to there's three groups of people, okay? There's his disciples, that's his followers, they were with him, and there's a select few of them. Then he had the crowd and part of the crowd was what you would call the disciples as in the many disciples, those that became students of Jesus. They they came back after John chapter six, they were hanging around. And then you had the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious guys that didn't they didn't like the freedom that Jesus preached about. They didn't appreciate it because they didn't agree with it. They thought the freedom that he offered was bogus. They didn't like it because to them it put them in a bad light and it enslaved them to the truth. And they weren't profiting off the truth. They were profiting off of the backs of people. And so there are three different groups of people that Jesus preached to in John chapter 8. The disciples, the crowd, and the religious leaders. And John chapter 8 verse 30, As Jesus was saying this thing, these things, many believed in him. Now we'll get to these things. There's lots of things. If you go back and read John chapter six and John chapter seven and John chapter eight, if you read before this, you hear some of the things that Jesus was saying. This was a long conversation. Jesus was walking for a while. He was in the town for a while. He he preached even longer than me, if you can believe that. Yeah, I know, right? Would you go and listen to him? Uh he, he preached for a while because back then their culture was different. That was like their TV in some sense. He would be preaching to the crowds for long periods of time. And so he had a lot of things to say. And in John chapter 8, verse 30, it says, while, after and while he was saying these things, many of the people in the crowd, they believed in him. They decided, you know what? What he's saying is actually true. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So in this encounter, he tells them all these truths, and he says, if you continue in my word, if you follow me, if you're my student, if you're my follower, if you mold and shape your life after after me, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's a declaration of freedom. You want to be free. You want to be free, I can set you free. But what was he setting them free from? Why, why does he offer freedom to this crowd of people? They're not all slaves, they're not all servants, they're not all physically, socially enslaved to anything. Some of them even believe they were already free. So what kind of freedom does he offer them? Well, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So saying what things and believing him about what? There's lots I can take you to, but let me just take you to one verse in John chapter 8, verse 24, just before this. Why do we need freedom? What was he offering us freedom from? In John chapter 8, verse 24, he says, Therefore I told you that you will die in your sins. This is why I'm telling you these things. You are going to die in your sins. This is a heavy warning. For if you do not believe that I am he, and he had been speaking about who he was. He was the Messiah. They kept challenging him. Are you really the Messiah? You keep claiming to be God. I mean, they had so many issues with Jesus, the way that he preached and what he was teaching. And he says, listen, you are going to die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, that what he was teaching, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. We need to be set free from our sin." We need to be forgiven of our guilt and our shame of the things we've done wrong. And that's the kind of freedom that Jesus came to offer, a freedom from sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is what we earn, what we get, the punishment for our disobedience to God, of not doing what He's asked us to do, of doing what He told us not to do, That penalty, that punishment, is death. And Jesus says, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sin. But in that same passage, in that same verse, he answers how you can get that freedom. How can you get free? If he's offering this freedom from our sin, how do you get free? Well, he says that in verse 24. He says, if you do not believe that I am he. You have to believe that Jesus is who he said he is it, it comes by faith the only way to be free from our sin is that we put our full trust and faith in Jesus now you might think this is classic elementary 101 for believers especially in church this is a big church setting how many of you could rightly answer me this question what is the gospel what is the good news because we've been asking people in our church what is the good news?" What is the gospel? And there's no judgment. I'm not critiquing. I want you to listen carefully. Put your thinking hats on. A lot of people, you know how they answer in this very church, what is the gospel? How do you know that you're saved? You know what they say a lot of times? Well, I just know that I haven't been doing right. And I just need to do right. I, I grew up. I knew the truth. And, and I just need to do better with my life. And I just felt this urge, like, I need to come back to church. And, and, and I need to come back. I need to be more involved. And all the, that's a good feeling. That's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But here's what's so important and especially important in John chapter 8. That is not the good news. That is not the gospel. That is not how you get saved. You do not get saved by doing better. You cannot save yourself. It is only by faith in Jesus. The only appropriate response to, what is the gospel? How do you know that you're a Christian? It's to point back to Jesus who he is, what he said, and what he did. Which, by the way, those three elements are found in in verse 31 of John chapter 8, which we'll get to. That's what he means by believing in him. Believe in me. Believe in him how? Believe in who he is, what he said, and what he did. Who he is, he's the son of God. He's the sinless son of God. He came to the earth 2,000 years ago, claimed to be God's son. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The only way to be made right with God is through his son, Jesus. That's who he is. And we put our faith in him in what he said. I have come to give you life and to give it abundantly, I came to seek and to save the lost. They are going to crucify me. I will die and I will rise again. I will rise on the third day. I will prove to you that I am who I say I am, that I defeated death. When when we ask people, what is the gospel? How do you know you're a Christian? How do you become a Christian? Our only answer should be, Jesus 2,000 years ago lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross. He literally bled. He suffered and died in my place. I should have died for my sin. I was enslaved to my sin. The wages of sin is death. My sin. I am guilty. I should be punished a just, good punishment to my sin, which is separation from God, who is holy and righteous. I was his enemy. I was a sinner. And I deserve every bit of the punishment that sin offers, which is death. That is what I deserved. And when Jesus died on a cross, he not only died, he was buried. He was dead, dead. His body was 100% dead. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He defeated death, our enemy, the, what we earn for sin. He conquered death. And not only that, in his new resurrected life, he offers us new life to walk with Him, to be with Him, to know Him, to be forgiven of all our sins. That was supposed to be my punishment, and when Jesus died and He rose again, I put my faith in that, in who He is, in what He said, and what He did. He died for me. I should have died. That's the good news. That's how I know I'm saved. The answer to how do you know you're saved is not, I felt bad for doing bad, and I feel like I want to do good. That is a good thing. I'm not trying to, you know, be really harsh against that. That's a good thing. That's God moving in your heart. But that's not how you get to heaven. That's not how you are saved. We are only saved by faithing in Him. Uh, When I was in college and seminary, they had me translate some of the books of the New Testament from Greek into English. And there was a particular book that we translated, 1 John. And I asked my professor, Dr. Bain. I asked him, I said, hey, Dr. Bain, I said, can I use an English word that doesn't exist? Because uh, I know he'd hate that. He's, he didn't like that kind of thing. I said, can I please? I want to use the word faith, but I want to use it as a verb because as I'm studying this word in the New Testament, I just keep feeling like believe is not, it's so general. It's so generic. It's not, we need to faith in God. We need to be faithing in Him. We need to faith in Him when, when we're struggling against doubts and, and when the world is offering us an alternative superficial deceitful idol we need to faith in him can I use it as a verb like faithing and he goes fine he said you could use it <laughs> so I wrote the whole paper I translated the whole book using that instead of the word believe and it was one of my favorite things to do because it just brought to the center the only way that we are changed is by faithing in him Just full abandoned faith. The gospel is not instructions. The gospel is an event. It's news of something that happened. Jesus died and he rose and if you would just faith in him, you will be saved. And that's what he wants us to be saved from, from our sin. And so, anyway, I lost my track. Uh, I lost lost my place. So the good news is that Jesus came to set us free from death. And in order to receive it, we have to faith in Him, believe in who He is, what He said, and what He did. And that's all found in verse 31, which we'll get to later. And we cannot set ourselves free. We cannot do good enough. You can't go to church and be like, I'm going to be a good person now, and then God will like me or be okay with me or accept me. It doesn't work that way. And, and I think the reason why John included the next verse in verse 33 The only reason why he included this verse, and I know he was brought along by the Holy Spirit, it's it's a God's inspired word. I think God intended to include this so that we would hear with our ears and read with our eyes. They misunderstood it as well. They thought that you could be a good person or you could be born in the right family or you can have some kind of condition that you're right with God. They misunderstood. So in verse 33 in John chapter 8, to prove that we cannot free ourselves, we cannot work for our spiritual freedom, this eternal freedom. The Pharisees, this other group, as Jesus was talking to the crowd and saying, if you believe in me, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. The disciples got upset. I'm sorry, not the disciples, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they got upset. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's all this faith business? You know, like why are you saying so, if they believe in you, no, 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 if they believe in the law of Moses, if they believe in our system, they were so upset with what Jesus was saying, they said, now wait a minute, you're offering this freedom, who are you to offer freedom? We're not even slaves. In verse 33, they says, listen, we're we're descendants of Abraham. They thought their, their bloodline, who they were as a people, made them right with God. Just being born Jewish does not make you right with God and does not atone for your sin. It doesn't work that way. And they thought, "Hey, listen, we're we're Jewish. Our father's Abraham." Then they said something that's kind of ridiculous. "And we have never been enslaved to anyone." Listen, I'm not a master in Jewish history, but I do read the Bible often. Buddy, they were enslaved many times. In Detroit we'd say, "I just got back from Detroit. I did my brother's wedding." We'd say for show. They were for show enslaved, like so many times, not even by the same people, different people, multiple times for hundreds of years. So their arrogance and their pride was so thick, they said something as ridiculous, "Uh, we've never been enslaved. Now, surely what they meant was we're not slaves in the form of indentured servants because the Pharisees weren't. They were actually, they had a good cushiony job. They had a good cushiony position in the community. Even though Rome occupied, they had a freedom in the sense uh, to worship their way, to be their way. They felt like they were free. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. When I first started studying the Bible, I would be so hard on the Pharisees. And then as I read the Bible, I realized I'm as bad, if not worse, than they are. I'm as bad as the Israelites who kept on ruining it. Uh, I'm just as bad as they are. I, I get distracted. I get tempted. I give in. And as I started studying the New Testament and studying the life of Jesus, I realized He really did have a genuine compassion for these men that hated him. He loved them. Think about how easy it would be for him to mock them. Because he's done that. He has mocked them. He mocks them other places. Truly I tell you, anyone who's committed a sin is enslaved to sin. Listen, you... How many people in our community are just like these Pharisees saying, I don't need your freedom. I don't need the freedom Jesus offers. I'm not enslaved to anyone. How many of them think that? How many of us sometimes think that? How many of us give in to bondage, forgetting that Jesus has set us free? Anyone who's committed sin is enslaved to sin. We need the freedom that God offers, that Jesus paid for, and the world needs it. I wonder how many people are in here right now. Statistically, there's probably about 25 of you that are not Christians. You're not really a believer. You know the truth like head knowledge. You, you know about Jesus, but you have what James chapter 2 calls a demonic faith. The demons believe He exists. They know exactly who He is. They've met Him. But they don't love Him, and they do not follow Him. How many of you, the Holy Spirit is maybe convicting right now, you are still enslaved to sin? You know what Jesus compassionately offers you? Freedom. Real freedom. And you can't work for it, you can't be born into it, and you can't do better. I mean, of course, everyone wants to do better, but that's not how you get made right with God. There is no name given under heaven by which we must be saved, by meaning to be set free. There's no name given under heaven by which we must be saved except for Jesus. There's no other name. We can only be set free from our sin if we trust in Him, believe who He is, believe what He said, believe in what He did. He came to die for you. And if you would believe in Him, express that belief. If you're convicted in your heart right now, pray to Him. He can hear the thoughts of your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud. Tell Him, I need to be set free. I need to be set free. Will you forgive me of my sin? Set me free from the bondage of my sin. If you believe who Jesus is and what He did, that He died on a cross and He was buried and God raised Him from the dead three days later, you believe in that event, that good news of what He did for you, you place your trust in Him, He promises, I will save you. I will forgive you of all of your sin. He wants to make you his child, adopt you into his family, to give you his inheritance, to really set you free. And it takes faith. He responded to them, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. We have to know, we have to accept, we have to believe that we are guilty, that we are sinners and we've committed sin, and that sin makes us enslaved. Because you can't can't receive grace if you don't know you're guilty. Right? That's impossible. You can't receive the grace and mercy that God offers you if you think you're innocent. If you think you deserve heaven, you don't understand, and you're not, your faith is not in Jesus who bled and died and rose again for you. That you could be saved, that if you would just call on his name, just call out to him, I need you to save me. You, if you genuinely put your faith in him, he will save you. Romans. Chapter 10, if, if, if we confess with our mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is how we are saved. That is the good news. So the good news is that Jesus came to set us free, to set us free from our sins and to live as true free. So if we're no longer slaves, it begs the final and third question. What do we need freedom from, uh, or why do we need freedom? How do we get free? One of the more applicable questions is, how do we live free? How do we live in the freedom that Christ has offered us? I think you see that in in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those who had believed in Him, put their faith in Him. That's the first step, is faithing in Him. If you continue in my word. You have to continue, you have to endure, you have to persevere. Jesus warned them, if you trust in me, it is going to get hard. You are going to be tempted to not continue in my word. You're going to be tempted to go the way of the world, to be distracted. There's going to be things that draw you to the world and not to God, that draw you away from God. Am I the only one? Don't you, don't you get it? Has this not happened in your life this week where something drew you away from what God wanted for you, His design for you, His love for you? Uh, have you not been distracted so much before that you, you're not in God's Word, you're not praying to Him, you're not talking with Him on a regular basis, on a daily basis? Have you not been pulled away and distracted from Him? Jesus tells us the truth. You've got to continue in My Word. That means you may have to change your calendar your schedule, your habits, when you wake up, when you go to sleep, what you spend your time on. You may have to make some real effort to continue in His Word, and it's worth it. Because real freedom is not laziness. Freedom is not being under bondage. And some of us enslave us to bad habits. We enslave ourselves to bad habits. Watching the news, watching, so being on social media forever, video games, phone games. Uh, it's funny when I see um, older p- people play the big iPads because their eyes can't see the whole thing, so they have like the huge iPads and they're playing games, and they just sit there in the waiting office playing games the whole time. I'm not, I'm not trying to critique that. I think it's cute. It's funny. But you know what? I know some of them probably spend a lot of time playing games, watching news, sitting around, only because... They don't know the freedom that God has designed for them. You don't have to waste these years. There is so much God offers you to live in the freedom that He bought for you. God offers you real active freedom. So if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples, my students, my followers. Uh, Being someone's disciple means I'm going to model my life after that person, the master, the Lord, the teacher, I'm going I'm to model and shape. I'm going to form my thoughts around His thoughts. I'm going to learn from Him. You have to continue in God's Word, be in His Word on a regular basis, and learn from Him and change and grow. The church calls it sanctification. It's where you more and more become like Him because you're following Him and listening to Him and applying His Word to your life and choosing to obey Him, choosing to faith in Him when it doesn't make sense. you got to continue in His Word, and you will be His disciple and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's interesting here is you will know the truth. It's future tense. It's because Jesus hadn't died yet. Not to them. So now we look at a different vantage point. We see it as something that he already did, but he was telling, listen, you continue in my word. You will know the truth, and it will set you free. Something's going to happen. That something was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's going to happen, and I'm going to set you free. You will be free by the truth. And what's the truth? Jesus said it. I am the way the truth, and the life. He came to offer us truth. He came to offer us real freedom. And so he says it'll, it'll set you free. So we live free through the Word of God. We live free through the Word of God. We've got to be in the Word of God. There is no strong disciple that is not continuously, constantly, daily, in God's Word, submitted to His Word. Thinking of it, meditating, memorizing, do whatever you can. Get the word in you. Not I like how one guy said it. Don't just get the word on you, get it in you. To get it in you takes special effort. You've got to really digest that. You've got to really take it in. So live free through the word of God. And if the word is the foundation of your faith and your life, if his truth, who he is, what he said, what he did, is the foundation of your life, then you'll live free from the fear of death. You don't have to be afraid of death. Part of living free is living with hope. I know that death is not the end and death does not win. There is a greater day coming. There is a real kingdom that's going to be established and it's not going to be uh, perverted and manly. Jesus the king is going to come and establish this. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, so that through his death, through Jesus' death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Some have been enslaved all their life in the fear of death because they had no hope. And Jesus offers freedom because he offers real hope that you can have right now today. You can have hope in the new life that he offers you right now. And sickness and persecution and suffering can't take it away because it can't do away with the kingdom. It's not gonna stop Jesus from coming back. He offers us true freedom. So continuing in his word means we're free from the fear of death. It also means we're free from the power of sin. We do not have to sin anymore. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes it, he says, "'For we know that our old self was crucified with him.'" Remember, what's the gospel? With Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, what Jesus came to do, it's an event, it's the good news of something that happened. God secured our salvation, he conquered death, He paid for our sins if we place our trust in Him. That's the good news. And if we believe in that, then we have been crucified with Him. We identify with Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. That's why we get baptized. Baptism is like a living picture of I identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why we go under the water and then out. It's like being buried and coming back alive. And so if we, we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin... Might be rendered powerless. We're no longer the same when Jesus has set us free through faith. We are no longer the same. We do not have to sin. We do not have to give in to the power of sin. So we're free from the power of sin. So that by sin, sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since the person who has died is free from sin. And this means we can live holy lives. We don't have to give in to the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world, the, the false freedom that they offer. Peter writes it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. You know, it's almost ironic to think of it this way. You know what Jesus wants you to do with your freedom? Enslave yourself. Use your freedom to become God's slave. Use your freedom to be His servant. You're free so that you can really live, so that you really serve, so that you can become God's slave. So don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. You know, some people have looked at the grace of God and the good news, the gospel, and said, you know what, honestly... You're, you're going to sin after you put your faith in Christ, most likely, and you will still go to heaven. You will still be saved. It's amazing. And some people who really didn't get it said, oh, I could just do whatever I want. I can just give in to whatever I want, and I'll be fine. And everyone, including Jesus, said, no, 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 you're missing it. Don't use God's grace as a license to sin. That's not what grace was given for. Why? Enslave yourselves back to the very thing He set you free from. So you live out your freedom by obeying Him, serving him, not as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slave. I use this verse a lot. I've quoted it many times, Isaiah chapter five verse 20. "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet." and sweet for bitter. I have to pause here and get your attention. I have been praying for our church family and our community, and there's been a particular special prayer that I've been praying because probably for the first time, well, for the first time in my life, I have watched faithful, mature Christians, like a lot of you, cover up evil and call it good and give in to temptation like I've never seen before. I went back to Michigan this last week and I was around a lot of non-Christians. Partied with them, I mean I didn't party party like what you might think, I, I hung out with them, I danced with them, I spent time with them and I was reminded once again of the secular world's type of freedom. And I grew up outside of the church, I didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up with the laws and the rules and all the moral stuff and the biblical traditional teaching. And when I became a Christian as a late teenager and I started reading the Bible, I thought, this is why they're like this. Obviously, life matters. Obviously, God made us male and female. Obviously, marriage is important because it reflects God's love for us and our love for Him. Husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church. Marriage is a living sermon of of the gospel, of God's love for us and our submission to Him. I started reading the Bible, I'm like, this is so clear. Evil is evil and good is good. And maybe for the first time in my life, I've not been discouraged with the world, I've been discouraged with the church. Grandparents and parents are being converted because they don't want to lose their kids and their grandkids to saying that evil is good affirming sinful lifestyle so that your kids will like you and your grandkids will still come around and granted we love them you love them you do not want to lose them but how how much more data is necessary how much more information do we need how mo- how many more sermons would it take to wake up the church and say there is no freedom without suffering There is no standing for Christ and being loved by the world. That doesn't exist. That's not a freedom that is even real. That is not freedom. Some of us are becoming enslaved to the bondage of being liked and accepted and trading in God for a reputation. Now, granted, it's for the people we love. doesn't make it right. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Love is not acceptance. That's the lie that the world is so craftily, I mean, they are communicating like masters of communication. It's very tempting. Unconditional love is not unconditional acceptance. It is not affirmation of evil. That is not love. And that's not what Jesus did either. To live free, we can't be people that cover up evil and call it good. We can't turn on the Lord. We got to be willing to give up our husbands, our wives, our children, our, yes, even your own life if you want to be his disciple. You have to be willing to say the freedom that Christ offers is the only freedom and the liberation and the revolution that you're touting of is going against His law and will only result in death. Sin will give birth to death and it will kill you and it will ruin a generation and we will reap the harvest of not standing up for and imaging the image of God, the truth of God. We must continue in His Word if we're going to live in this freedom. If you think freedom is people not saying bad things about you, you don't know what biblical freedom is. Freedom may mean suffering. Freedom may be, I'm a slave and I'm persecuted and it's difficult and it's hard and I'm attacked. That may be the freedom that Christ offers you. Don't be deceived in thinking there's a better freedom. There's not, comfort is not offered to you. Jesus never offered freedom from discomfort or pain. That's not the freedom that Jesus offers. He offers us a freedom from the bondage and slavery that comes through sin. We can't doll it up. We can't say it ain't so. We can't pretend like the Bible isn't clear on so many issues, including sexuality, gender, marriage. It's clear. It's not even difficult. It is so clear. Are we enslaved to American success and reputation and being liked, are we enslaved to comfort? Are we what Timothy, what Paul writes to Timothy, are we becoming lovers of pleasure? Because it won't work. You want to live free? Continue in His Word. Be His disciple, and His disciples were murdered to the death, if it takes it stand for the word. Stand in his word as free men and women. You have been set free. Not to a bondage, a yoke of slavery, but to real freedom. It might put you on a cross. It might remove your business, take your job. It happens, and it's going to happen more and more. It might happen to me. I'm not saying this glibly. One of my kids can end up hating me and the church because he or she decides I want to live outside of God's design and that would be miserable for me. But my hope is not that my life will be without suffering and pain. My hope is in the Lord. My prayers are not going to be I want to be accepted. No, my prayers are I want them to be saved. Saved from the bondage of sin. That's the kind of freedom that God offers us. It's not a freedom of comfort and pleasure and success. It's a freedom that includes suffering and bondage and slavery, but a different kind. Be enslaved to God. Choose to be his servant. Where you do what he says, you only agree with what he says, and you fight for what he says, be enslaved to him. That is true freedom. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I'm so grateful for your word. And even in reading Psalm 103, it's our hearts cry, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquity, who heals our, all our diseases, who sets us free from the bondage of slavery. Father, we need you. We need your mercy and compassion and goodness. Help us to be a church family that is truly free. Help us to know the freedom that you offer us. We love you because you first loved us. We know that the world offers a false freedom. We know that we're tempted to be comfortable. Help us to be your disciples. I thank you for telling Peter's story. After three years with you, dinners with you, hearing the same sermon over and over, hearing you explain it, he was drawn away out of fear of being persecuted. I know that that can be us. I pray, would you help us to stand strong? Help us to stand strong in your word. Help us to live as if we're truly free. You set us free from the bondage of sin and death. You have defeated the enemy. We know we're here for a reason. Help us to win the loss. Help us to spread your freedom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are the church. There's no other plan that God has. We are the hope of the world. We're the salt and the light of the world. If we do not live like the church out there, there is no plan B. We are the church Let's go be the church. Grace, we are sent.